Last week, we kicked off a new sermon series called The God Who Celebrates. And what we are doing is that over the next number of weeks, we're going to be looking at the feasts of the Old Testament, the celebration days of the descendants of Abraham, the Israelites. That the Jewish people had seven different feasts that they celebrated on a regular basis throughout the year. And that's what we're going to be looking at in this series. You know, here in America, we just recently got through a major uh, holiday season. And it kind of starts with Thanksgiving, maybe even a little bit before that. And then there is Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, and there's New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. And then last week, it kind of culminated with that pinnacle of the national holiday season, Super Bowl weekend, right? I want you to think about the the holiday season once. What is it that we enjoy about the holidays? What is it that we enjoy about Thanksgiving or about uh, Christmas week? Or what is it that we enjoy about New Year's Eve and New Year's Day? For some of us, it's the fact that we get some time off of school. We get some time off of work. Unless you work in retail and then you actually have to work more during the holiday season. But the holidays are a time... When our routines often change, things stop, Um, we get a break from how things normally go, that normal routine. Not, Not only do our routines change, but often during the holidays we have these gatherings that take place that we're involved in. Last Sunday we had something like 35 teenagers show up here at the church and we had a Super Bowl party here at the church for that. Uh, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, we get together with people and we celebrate. Thanksgiving is often a time where people travel to our houses or uh, we travel to other people's houses, but we get together. And, And so the holidays is often about stopping, about taking a break, about our routines kind of changing, and it's about gathering. I want us to keep that in mind as we think about these major feasts of the Old Testament, these feasts of the Israelites. The Israelites had seven major feasts throughout the year, and uh, three of them were, uh, were, were feasts, were, were really big deals, like a, a huge deal feast. Now, these three feasts, these major feasts, were uh, times when men would, would travel if they were able to, and it was a bonus if their families could come along as well, but men who were able to travel would leave their villages, they would leave their towns, and they would make their way down uh, up to Jerusalem uh, for these three feasts. The, the three major feasts were the Feast of Passover early on in the spring. We talked about that last week. The Feast of Pentecost, which is 50 days after Passover. It's in late spring. It's also called the Feast of Weeks. And then there's the Feast of Tabernacles. And so you have these big three. The Feast of Passover, 50 days later. The Feast of Pentecost. And late fall, um, the harvest feast was called the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the writings and the instructions on these three feasts are given in three different uh, books of the Bible. In uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And this morning, what we're going to be doing is spend most of our time in Deuteronomy chapter 16. And so if you have a Bible with you, you can grab one in the pew rack in front of you, open your Bible app on your phone or tablet, whatever. Uh, But join me in uh, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 16. Deuteronomy 16. 
The first five books of the Bible were written by Moses to the people of Israel as an account of how God had faithfully worked to establish them as a nation, as a group of people. And he also gave them these instructions from the Lord as to what it was that they were to value and how it is that they were to live. Deuteronomy is one of the first five books of the Bible where uh, Moses writes. And in Deuteronomy chapter 16, beginning in verse 9, we read this. You shall count seven weeks, begin to count the seven weeks from the time the sickle is first put to the standing grain. Now, a sickle is a harvest instrument, and we have a picture of a sickle here this morning that we're going to put up on the screen. For those of you who have been around farming communities, or maybe you've been a farmer in the past, um, you may have seen one of these before. But in a day and age where we have all of this big farm machinery and equipment, we don't really use a sickle like this very much anymore. Well, what would happen, though, is that when the barley, uh, the barley would usually mature first and then the wheat would mature afterwards. But um, when, when they would come along in Deuteronomy, it says that um, God says through, through Moses, he says, from the time that the sickle is first put to the standing grain, from the time that the harvest first begins, I want you to count seven weeks from that time. And so for all of you who are good at math, you think about the fact that there are seven days in a week, and it's seven weeks. So seven times seven is how many days? Well, it's 49 days, right? And the very next day would be the 50th day. And, and so Passover, or the Feast of Weeks, is 50 days after Pen uh, Passover. Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. Now, a key word here in the Feast of Weeks, the, the, uh, the, the, the Feast of Pentecost, is the word gratitude. Gratitude. We're, we're, you're, you're grateful because the final harvest has been brought in. And now you have this final crop of, of, of grain. Now, the, the Feast of Tabernacles was a fall festival, a fall feast, and it was then that the grapes would be ripe, and it was then that you would crush them into wine, and the, the olives would be harvested. But the Feast of Pentecost was one that would happen before that. It was a, a harvesting or a gathering of all of your grain. And so, last week, we looked at the Feast of Passover. This week, we look, we're looking at the Feast of Pentecost, after the, the harvest grain, or the grain has been harvest, harvested. And then, next week, we're going to be looking at another harvest celebration, the Feast of Tabernacles. But today is Pentecost, and it is... Uh, a, a, a day, it is a celebration, it is a feast of gratitude, which means that as we study the Feast of Weeks today, we need to talk about what it means to be grateful. This is really crucial, it's really critical for us to think in this way. I, I don't know what it is that you admire most in other people. I mean, maybe it's their beauty, Maybe it's the fact that certain people are gifted in certain ways and they can do things that maybe you can't do. So maybe they can play a musical instrument incredibly well. Maybe it's the fact that they are very talented at performing surgeries or maybe they have some really good carpentry skills or maybe they're an amazing chef and you would never be able to do any of those things. 
You know, I think one of the things that we ought to be impressed by, one of the things that we ought to admire, that we ought to be thankful for, are people who are grateful. I think that one of, the, one of those precious hidden qualities uh, that, that needs to be found in a person is people who are grateful for what they have. And so here is the question. What does a person who is full of gratitude look like? How do you measure gratitude? What are the evidences of gratitude? Is there a person who is growing in gratitude? Uh, what, what would there be if a person is growing in gratitude? What would their uh, personality be like? What would they their behavior be like? How would they be disciplined in their life to show gratitude? These are huge questions for us. These are huge things for us to think through. This is uh, huge for us because we all live in the wealthy, one of the wealthiest uh, civilizations ever uh, that the world has ever known. And if we haven't learned to be grateful, then friends, this is criminal. Because it is a felony to be surrounded by all of this abundance and then focus on what it is that we lack rather than on what it is that we have. And so we check out, as we check out the Feast of Weeks here, Pentecost, that, that has this focus around gratitude. I want us to think about the, the, and realize just how badly it is that we need this personally. What if, because of what, what we learn here today, what if we are able to take steps towards what it means to be a grateful people? What if, because of what the scriptures have to tell us here, that, that we become inspired to be the people that God wants us to be? Well, let's go ahead and jump into the Feast of Weeks, jump into Pentecost. And as we do, we want to enroll in the School of Gratitude. And as we do this, our focus is going to be on three different areas here that have to do, uh, that, that, that are talked about in the Feast of Weeks. These are three different outlooks or focuses that we want to spend some time this morning looking at. And here's what they are. First, the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, has an upward focus. And then secondly, the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, has an outward focus. And then finally, we'll see that the Feast of Weeks, that Pentecost, has a forward focus. A, a, it points forward. So a upward focus, a outward focus, and a forward focus in the Feast of Pentecost. Let's jump into this and in verse, back into verse 9 here. Deuteronomy chapter 16, here's what it says. You shall count seven weeks, that's 49 days. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time the sickle is first put to the standing grain. Now, what, what we're talking about here is bread. And I want you to understand something here because I think that we need to go back to their culture before we go to our culture and think about this. I submit to you that the way that they got their bread is a whole lot more encumbered than the way that we get our bread. Because the way that I get my bread is I go out to the store and there are all these racks of loaves of bread and um, I just go and I grab one of the loaves of bread off of the rack and it costs something like two bucks, give or take a few cents. And I, I, I take that loaf and I, I take it to the check, the self-scan checkout. And I scan the barcode. I take out my debit card. I insert it into the machine. And I have this wonderful loaf of bread. It's all wrapped up in plastic. And it is already pre-sliced. 
which is great, right? It is so convenient. For most of us, that is how our bread is today. But I submit to you that their bread was a little bit more time intensive. It was a little bit more uh, labor in intensive than ours is. Let, let me talk just a little bit about what their bread was like for a moment here. Their bread would begin with this bag of grain. And so that bag of grain had great value to it because if you ground it up and you added some water to it and you baked it for a while, you would have bread. And so basically what you were doing is you had this bread here and you would take it, these kernels, and you would throw them on the ground. You would scatter it. It was called sowing seed. You would throw it on the ground and if it rained... If the rains came and the seeds would germinate, then they would begin to grow through the ground. They, these little shoots would start growing up out of the ground. And your harvest then was just beginning. This was the early stages. It, was, uh, ready, uh, it wasn't ready to harvest just yet, but there were these little shoots that were beginning to peek up out of the ground, be beginning to show themselves. Now, if these little shoots um, were, had the proper amount of rain and the proper amount of sun, if they don't get destroyed by hail or by raging locusts that were coming in and just ravaging the crop, there, there would be these little shoots that would mature. And they would mature all the way till they got into a mature uh, stalk of standing grain. And now is the time for the harvest to begin. So you go out, you take your sickle out with you, you uh, start cutting down these stalks of grain, which was a lot of work. I mean, it was dusty, it was dirty. And so you would be out there probably with your kids or, or maybe if you hired people, if you had servants, you, they would be out there working for you. And you had this sickle and you would cut down the stalks of grain and then you would leave the grain, the stalks of grain right there on the ground and somebody would come behind you and stack these stalks of grain up together and tie them together in these little bundles. And, and they have them all tied together and the field is all uh, chopped down, all the grain. And you think, wow, I mean, that was a lot of work, but man, this is great. The harvest is done now, right? No, actually it's not. The harvest is not done. In fact, it's just beginning because once you cut down the stalks of grain, now you still have these stalks of grain that are connected to the grain. And what you really need is the grain. That Those stalks don't really mean too much. You need to remove those kernels of grain from the stalks of grain. And so you could rub them together. And, and as you rubbed them together, as you rubbed those stalks of grain, the, the, the grain would crumble out into your hands. But you know what? That'd take a really long time, especially if you had a large operation. And so you would take like a pitchfork or some sort of a broom or a, a, a stick or something, and you would beat that, that grain. You'd beat those stalks until the grain fell out. It, it was this process called threshing. And as you threshed, you know, uh, th that grain and that, uh, those stalks are still all together, kind of there in a pile. And so what you'd do is then you'd have to start winnowing. And what you would do to winnow is when there was a little bit of a breeze, you would take those stalks and you'd throw them up into the air and the stalks and the chaff would be lighter and they would kind of blow away. The grain that was heavier would fall back right into the same pile. 
And so you would do this over and over and over again, and then you would have this big pile of grain that you could uh, uh, take to make bread out of for you and for your family for the year. And uh, yet you didn't want to eat it all because you had to keep a little bit of that grain behind so that next year you could take that grain again and throw it at that seed and it would be your crop for next year. Again, you, you have this pile of grain if it rained enough, if the sun came out enough, if the hailstones didn't come down and beat, your, beat uh, to death th this crop of grain that you have when it, when it matured, if the locust didn't come and eat up all of your crop, if this pile of grain um, is not uh, stolen, taken by some band of Philistines who come to loot your village of their grain. And so you, uh, you, you picked the, or you planted the grain, you grew, uh, it grew up into shoots, it matured, you took the sickle, you chopped down the, those stalks, you threshed it, you winnowed it. And now you have this pile of grain and you think, wow, I mean, that was a lot of work. But finally, finally we're done. Finally it's finished. It's all over. Well, not quite yet. There's just one more important thing that you still have to do. The next important step that you had to do was to give thanksgiving. Thanksgiving to the one who sent the rain. Thanksgiving to the one who protected your crop. Thanksgiving to the one who allowed the sun to shine. Thanksgiving to the giver. And that was Pentecost. That was the Feast of Weeks. That was what it was all about. It was about gratitude. So let's look at the next verse there in Deuteronomy chapter 16. It says, uh, it's been seven weeks uh, 49 days since Passover. Verse 10 uh, says this. Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a freewill offering from your hand. Now listen to this. Which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. The Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, had this upward focus. It was thanksgiving to the giver for the blessings that the Lord, your God, had given you. And so I want you to imagine this for just a moment. This is one of the three major feasts. And so people from all over Judea would, would journey on their way to Jerusalem. And these people were, would pour out of their villages. They would pour out of Bethshan and uh, Bathsheba and Bethlehem. They would pour out of Shechem and Sychar and Shiloh. And they would pour out of their villages and they would start to make their way on the 50th day after Passover up to the city of Jerusalem. And the instructions that were given were very simple. Bring an offering to give as the Lord your God blesses you. Now, I, I just love that it doesn't get really specific about the amount here. It doesn't say, now, everyone bring an offering of a bushel of grain. It, it just says, bring an offering to give as the Lord your God blesses you. You see, if you had a major operation, you had lots and lots of acres of land, and the rains fell, and, the, and, the, and you had a great year and a, and a bunch of grain, you would bring a bunch of grain to offer but if you had a little postage stamp, uh, uh, this tiny little field, and, and you didn't get very much rain at all, and you, things didn't go very well, well, you wouldn't bring very much. 
And so God's people would, would bring an offering to the temple in Jerusalem. And on Pentecost, the, the population in Jerusalem would just swell because this offering was so important. That gratitude was an upward focus and this gift was a way of saying to, to the giver, uh, it was a way for the giver to say, you know what, I know where my stuff comes from. This is a, just a token of the harvest that I've received. This is just a portion. I bring this in and I am giving it back because I know where my stuff comes from. I worked hard. I threw the seed. I went out there and took the sickle and cut down the stalks. I, I bound them up. I threshed and winnowed it. But I know where my stuff comes from because I didn't make it rain. And I didn't make the sun shine. And I didn't keep the pounding hail from destroying all of my fields. I, I didn't prevent the hordes of locusts from devouring my crop. The offering represented gratitude for the whole crop. And the voice of gratitude at the Feast of Weeks whispers, I know where my stuff comes from. The voice of Pentecost, the voice of the Feast of Weeks, has this upward focus in worship. I know where my stuff comes from. Let me challenge you with something here. I know that many of you are very faithful and faithfully disciplined in giving to our church. And also you have the privilege of writing checks to a number of other organizations that serve people. But I know that sometimes it can get kind of mechanical as we give. You know, you, you, you think like, I know that there are people in need and so I've got some money and so I just write this check or maybe I direct deposit this or something like that. I mean, I, I don't even think about it much. Listen, giving money away is something that should be fundamentally different than paying other bills that we have. It's fundamentally different than paying our cell phone bill, right? So what if, in those moments when the offering plate is being passed, you, you've disciplined yourself to give faithfully? What if, as you place that check or you place that money into the offering plate, you kind of whisper to yourself these seven words, God, I know where my stuff comes from. I know where my stuff comes from. Well, what if in worship time at St. Paul's Bible Church that it wasn't just about singing songs and reading scripture and listening to a message and praying, and then we kind of give offering as a way of paying the bills or something, but what if the offering time is actually the greatest moments of worship that occurs here in this building? Because as, the gifts, as a gift is given, we say, you know what, this is just a portion of all that I've been blessed with. God, I know where my stuff comes from. What if when we, we get, give a coat, maybe to a coat driver, maybe we give a, a toy to Toys or Tots pro Project, or uh, what if we deliver that to a barrel, we drop it into the basket, and, and we say, God, I know where my stuff comes from. It all comes from you. This is just a token of the blessings that I received. I know where my stuff comes from. What if the, the, that we were more intentional about making giving an act of worship. And, you know, there, there are things that, uh, what if we think about our time as well? There, there are things that sometimes the biggest gifts that we give maybe aren't even money. Maybe they're more about our time, the hours of serving that we give. And some of you have this very beautiful habit of giving meals to those who have experienced grief, those who have experienced loss, who've maybe gone through a surgery, maybe uh, welcomed a new baby into their family. 
but you cook this meal and it's great. It's a great time as you're taking that meal where you could use that as, as a way to um, be grateful for what you have. And what, what if as you park your car in the driveway or on the street and you're walking up to the front door to give this meal to this person, what if you just say to yourself, I mean, it doesn't need to be out loud or anything. You say to yourself, God, I know where my stuff comes from. I know that you're the one who gives me the time. I know that you're the one who gives me the energy. You give me the resources to actually be able to do something like this. I know that many of you serve around the church here, teaching in Sunday school, watching the kids in the nursery, um, uh, children's church, Wednesday night Bible study, helping out in the office, serving in coffee time, greeting and ushering, being a part of the worship team. And what if in those moments as you're walking up to the church, and you're getting ready to serve. I mean, maybe you're going to serve for two hours. Maybe you're going to serve for an hour. I don't know. But whatever it is, that you acknowledge to God that this time is his time. That it's for him that you're doing this. Well, what if you say, God, you know what? You give all of my life to me. You've given me my whole life. Every hour of every single day is yours. But I want to acknowledge right here and right now that these next two hours of service, they are all yours. God, I know where my stuff comes from. And I'm offering this up to you. Friends, this is the voice of gratitude. The Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, has this language of gratitude. And first we see that there is this upward look that says, God, you brought the crops, you brought the rain. I know where my stuff comes from. You say, okay, Jason, I get it. I mean, they, they spend all spring growing their crops. They harvest their crops and th then they thresh it and winnow it and bring their gift to Jerusalem and then they go back home. I get it. That's Pentecost. But that's not it. Because there, there's another very important part of Pentecost. And that is that it's a feast. This is a feast. It's not just called a day of Pentecost. It's called a feast of Pentecost. Or a feast of weeks. Friends, there was a meal. There was a good meal that was involved here. I want you to think about Thanksgiving meal. They, they would have all sorts of foods. Um, for this feast, they would have lamb, fig, uh, maybe some grapes from the harvest the last year, the year before. They, they would take dip their bread in olive oil. They had spices and herbs, and this was a feast. And the beautiful thing about this feast is that you, you would bring your kids along with you. And maybe your cousins would be there as well, and they would bring their kids uh, too. And you'd have your aunts and uncles and your moms and dads and uh, grandmas and grandpas but there was more than just that. I want you to check out verse 11, what it says there. It says this, And you shall rejoice. Think food here. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the people who run your farm, the Levite, that's the religious leader, who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow who, widow who are among you. At the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. The language of the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, not only has this upward focus, but it also has an outward focus. 
When you come to the feast, I want you to bring your kids. I want you to bring your wife. When you come to the feast, I want you to look down the road. And if there is a 9 and a 12-year-old who have just lost their mom and dad and uh, they, they don't have anyone to kind of uh, care for them, I want you to go down there and you say, you know what, you're coming with us. You're going to come with us. You're part of our family. You're going to come to Jerusalem for this feast along with us. You're our guest. If there's a refugee who has fled a war-torn country and he has entered into your community and is living down the street, I want you, they don't have any crops, they, didn't, they didn't, don't have a field in order to plant anything, and so I want you to invite them and I want you to say, you know what, I want you to come to share in the feast with us. If there's a 35-year-old woman who's just lost her husband and she doesn't have any children uh, who are old enough to help take care of her and, and she's teetering on this edge of being destitute, you invite her and you, you, you have her come with you to the Feast of Pentecost to celebrate that feast along with you. You shall rejoice. Think food. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter and your, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are among you. Don't you love that? I mean, there's just something about reading that. Where you just admire the heart of God here. That he includes the disenfranchised. I mean, that just touches me deep down inside. That God cares about the people who are kind of on the outside. Who are, not, who are overlooked by a lot of people. There's something about this that is just so encouraging. There's something about this that is just amazingly heartwarming. And so here is the challenge for you. Here is the challenge for us. I want us to take this really seriously here, you know? Sometime over the next month, before the end of February or, or, or maybe even into the first couple of weeks of March, I want you to invite somebody to something. Really simple. Just invite somebody to something. And invite somebody to something who doesn't have a whole lot of friends. Somebody who doesn't, maybe you don't hang out with very much. I mean, over the next few weeks, I want you to honor the voice of gratitude with this outward look. You see, the voice of gratitude says, you know what? I have more than enough. I want you to, 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 to make it your mission over this next month to include people who don't have a whole lot of friends that they hang out with all the time. And I want you to invite somebody who you don't really talk to or don't maybe hang out with a whole bunch. Maybe you're going to the movies with your family and you say, hey, you know what? We're going to the movies. Would you like to come hang out with us? Our treat, we'll pay. Or maybe you invite somebody over to your house for dinner. Maybe you invite them over just to hang out or to, to come on a play date with you or uh, something like that. You know, go to the coffee shop together. In this world where there is all this social media, all the time, everybody being bombarded with this social media stuff. And it seems like, man, everybody must just really be connected. But the reality is that that's not true. There are more people than ever who, who just don't have very many friends. More people than ever who are lonely and by themselves and, and disconnected all over the place. What would it be like for us to increase our circle of friends, our family circle, over the next season by inviting somebody to something along with us? The spirit of Pentecost, the spirit of the Feast of Weeks, the voice of gratitude says, you know what, I have more than enough. 
In fact, I have enough that I could share with other people around me. And it has this upward focus, but it also has this forward focus. How do you know if you're growing in gratitude? Well, are you growing in a desire to share your time? Are you growing in a desire to share your stuff? The voice of gratitude whispers, I, I have more than enough. So there's this upward focus, I know where my stuff comes from. There's this outward focus, I have more than enough. But we said that there were three things, and the third thing here in Pentecost that Pentecost looked to was a forward focus, a forward focus. I believe that Pentecost, which is given in the Old Testament times, in the early pages of the Bible, I believe that it looked way down the road to see what was coming ahead. What were the three major feasts that took place um, for the people of Israel where they would flock to Jerusalem? There were three major feasts. We, we talked about them at the beginning, right? They were Passover and Pentecost and the Tabernacles. So during one of these feasts, Jesus gets executed. He and his disciples are there in Jerusalem along with everyone else. And, and Jesus actually has a couple of his men go ahead of him and prepare this meal that they're going to have together, the, the Lord's Supper. After this meal, Jesus gets arrested and he gets killed. Now, this wasn't just some kind of ordinary time in the city of Jerusalem. That, that, that was a time when it was an unusual time, a time when people would have flocked to Jerusalem for one of these major celebrations, one of these major feast times. Jesus gets executed one of the, during one of these major feast times. And we talked about it last week. It's the Passover when that happened. So Jesus gets executed on this first feast, on Passover. A few days later, he rises back from the dead. He comes back to life. And there are all these accounts of Jesus in the Bible, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where it tells about how Jesus spends 40 days after his crucifixion instructing his disciples. And so we have a Passover, and then we have week one, week two, week three, week four, so on. 40 days pass. And we're now 10 days away from what major Jewish feast? Well, when Jesus leaves and he goes back to heaven, it's about 10 days from Pentecost. And in some of Jesus' final instructions, he tells his disciples, he says, you know what, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I don't want you to do anything when you get there. Now, I know that that kind of sounds strange. I mean, you think about Jesus. You think about um, if you spent three years with Jesus, you were listening to him talk, you were seeing all the miracles, and you would think, you would have expected this pep rally. You would have expected him to say something like this. Hey, guys, you know what? I want you to go out and I want you to win the world for me. I want you to uh, just tell everybody about me. That's what I want you to do. But right before he leaves, he doesn't tell them to go out. Instead, he says, I want you to wait, wait. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. I want you to see these instructions that Jesus gives here. This is 40 days after his crucifixion and resurrection. It says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but I will baptize with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
And John the Baptist submerged you with water, but now you're going to be submerged. Now you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I want you to go to Jerusalem, but I don't want you to start your mission yet. I don't want you to go around talking about me yet. I want you to wait for the promise. I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit. Ten days later, I want you, uh, I want you to travel with me for a moment here to uh, the temple. And there in the, the temple area in Jerusalem, um, this is not a normal day in Jerusalem. It's another one of these national feasts. And uh, the, the population swells as the people there are leaving their towns and their villages and they come to Jerusalem with these grain offerings for, for the festival for the, for the, from the harvest. It's at the Feast of Pentecost on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover where Jesus had been killed when the Holy Spirit comes upon these disciples. And that day, Peter stands up in the temple complex and he begins to speak in great power about the Messiah who had come and died and rose and, and is going to come again. And on that day, this great harvest of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ takes place. In fact, the Bible says that 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ that very day. It's harvest day. The harvest is coming in. Don't you see it? Pentecost honored the harvest. It honored the giver. It honored the fact that God is the giver of bread. God is the giver of life. And on that day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. And it's on that day of Pentecost that the Jesus movement is born. I think that, 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 that even way back in the first instructions when they were given in the Bible regarding the Feast of Weeks, regarding the Feast of Passover, that, that from the very beginning there was this upward look, that there was this outward look, but I think that there was also a forward look. I think that God knew that one day on the day of Pentecost, he was going to send his Holy Spirit. He was going to send himself. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, and the Holy Spirit comes to give us comfort when, our, when we are trashed emotionally. The Holy Spirit comes to give us direction when we don't think we, we can take another step when we don't know where to go next. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to step away from habits that we have held on to, that we have been chained to for way too long. The Holy Spirit is the gift from the giver to empower us to do what our gracious God is asking us to do. The Feast of Weeks has an upward look. It has an outward look. And it has a forward look with the Holy Spirit that would one day come. Question, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Well, in addition to whatever it is that might be coming to your mind in this moment, I'd like for us to, um, I'd like to give you just three little projects here. Three pretty simple projects. Number one. The next time that you give something away, maybe it's a coat drive, maybe it's a Toys for Tot, maybe it's offering here at this church, uh, whether you're writing a check to a friend who is in need or taking a meal to somebody's house, the next time that you give something away, I want you to utter these seven beautiful words, I know where my stuff comes from. 
that you turn this act of giving into an upward act of worship. God, I know where my stuff comes from. God, you are the giver of all that I enjoy, and I'm giving this away as a token to you of all it is that you have given to me. That's project number one. The next time that you give something away, and I hope it's soon, just utter those seven beautiful words to God. I know where my stuff comes from. Project number two, invite somebody or something, preferably a person that uh, doesn't have a lot of people in their lives, somebody that you don't know very well. I want you to invite them over. Over the next few weeks, I, I would love for you to extend an invitation to somebody who doesn't have a lot of friends. Maybe it's somebody who's just lonely. Maybe it's somebody who's discouraged. Maybe it's somebody who has just recently moved into the area. You see, the spirit of gratitude has this outward focus. And it says, you know what? I have more than enough. And so sometime over the next month, I want you to invite somebody to something. That's project number two. And then project number three. If the Holy Spirit has come to live inside of you, you know, he frequently whispers to you. Uh, he, he frequently nudges you. And yet a lot of times he talks and yet we're not listening. He whispers, but we're kind of oblivious to what it is that he's saying. And so there are three words that I would like to give you. The, the, these three words are simply this. Here I am. Here I am. Sometime over the next 24 to 48 hours, I want you to stop and I want you to just say, okay, God, here I am. Here I am. Is there an apology that I need to ask for? Here I am. Is there somebody that I need to write an encouraging note to, an encouraging email to? Here I am. Is there somebody who I need to bless? God, here I am. Is there an attitude that is killing me, that's hurting the people around me? You're telling me, you've been telling me to move away from this. And I just keep saying, no way. God, here I am. May, your, may the power of your Holy Spirit speak into my life in such a way that I am able to move closer to you, that I am able to, to do away with those habits in my life that I need to reject, that I need to get away from, that I need to turn from, that I need to repent from. And so there is this upward focus, there is an outward focus, and there is a forward focus. I know where my stuff comes from. I have more than enough, and here I am. I know where my stuff comes from. I have more than enough, and here I am. This is the language of Pentecost. This is the language of gratitude. Let's pray.